Welcome to New Mexico in Focus. Today is Friday, March 4th of 2022, and I am your host, Kevin McDonald, also an executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. What an emotional week. I know, like many of you, we have been gripped to the situation in Ukraine, which, of course, the impacts trickle all the way here to New Mexico. We are going to jump into a lot of that here on this episode of the podcast. Uh, We've got some surprises in store there, surprises to us. We'll fill you in about all that here in just a little bit. But we want to start out with a discussion on news that actually took place last weekend, uh, last Saturday, when the Republican Party of New Mexico had their pre-primary convention to decide which candidates would be on the primary ballot. And it was drama-filled. There were problems with the process. They went from an electronic voting process to a paper ballot process, but there were proxy votes allowed, and some of those proxies had left and or weren't there, obviously, so made the paper ballot issue very different. A lot of surprises in the outcome, especially in the race for the governor, who will go up against our sitting governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham. Uh, Mark Ronchetti, who has raised over a million dollars in recent weeks, did not reach the threshold of delegates needed, that's 20%, to get on the ballot, but he will be on the ballot anyway. Uh, There's another way to do that with uh, signatures, uh, and he was able to get enough for that. So there are four folks on the ballot, and uh, there's been a lot of discussion about the integrity of that election and infighting. Uh, Ronchetti has uh, come out pretty harshly against the party for the way things went down. So lots to talk about here. Want to let you know who's on the line opinion panel this week. We've got a great one for you. We've got Merritt Allen of Vox Optima PR. We've got former state Senator Dee Dee Feldman. And always love to welcome back Jessica Onsurez. She is the news director at the Carlsbad Current Argus. So just a great group for, for especially this topic, and we're going to dive into it right now. Here's host Gene Grant. Thank you all for joining us at the virtual roundtable this week. First, we have a former New Mexico senator. That would be Dee Dee Feldman. Next, it's another regular on our program, Merritt Allen from Vox Optima Public Relations. We want to welcome back Jessica Onsones. News Director at the Carlsbad Current Argus. Good to have you all here. I'm going to start with your reaction to the Republican Convention here in New Mexico. It's a big year with the race for governor in the fall, and the party got a chance to choose its top candidates. Now, getting enough delegate votes to be on the ballot in the primary are Sandoval County Commissioner Jay Block, State Representative Rebecca Dow, and West Point graduate and veteran Greg Zanetti in that order. The notable exception is Mark Ronchetti, the former TV weatherman and Senate candidate. What was, Merritt, let me start with you. What was the thought process here for delegates? Is there something to be gleaned from the order of the delegates here? And we'll get to the, the actual convention and its machinations in a second. But just, I want to concentrate on who came in what where. What does it mean in the long run to you? I, I think very little just because mm-hmm. um, the convention itself was so disordered. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I think it's really hard to say. And if, course you also have the top two candidates being seven delegates apart so um you've you've got uh, the fourth place finisher who didn't even really try to campaign for delegates and then you've got the top three finishers who were you know 50 delegates apart out of a total convention uh, uh participation of you know really our a record turnout of uh, almost 800 delegates uh, mm. attending so um, it was a close finish of, among the top three. The fourth finisher wasn't even seeking delegates. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Jessica, you know, I, I have to ask this right off the top. Mr. Ronchetti will be on the ballot anyway. We, we knew that going into the convention. So is this snub something Mr. Ronchetti can use to his advantage politically? I do think so. We were talking about this earlier yeah. and the fact that there is something to be said for how he came out a little bit shiny um, from I know you said we'll be talking about the shenanigans at the convention um, altogether, but mm-hmm. he came out on top, I think, with voters and with the media and with the public, um, you know, signatures um, say one thing about a candidate versus delegate votes. You know, I'm not particularly an insider. I don't care for delegate votes when I've got voter support. Look at all these signatures I have up front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I do think he's got, you know, he's got something um, going for him with name recognition and with the war chest that he's managed to amount ahead of the other delegates. And um, with continued uh, goodwill like that, who's who's to say that he can't come out um, as the premier candidate against mm -hmm. Michelle Lujan Grisham? Mm -hmm. Senator Feldman, I got to read you a quote from Mr. Ronchetti. I, I just <laughs> found this amazing quote. I'm concerned because of the backbiting and backstabbing that this process has become. We've got gubernatorial candidates trying to keep each other gubernatorial candidates off the ballot. We've got cheap shot cowards going out there sending texts anonymously. Grow up. This isn't who we are. That's amazing to me, taking on a party like that, the party that you want to lead <laughs> ostensibly for the governor's office. What is he saying here to the Republican Party of New Mexico with these kind of quotes? Well, he is saying grow up. And I think that uh, Ron Kennedy looks good just because everybody else looks so terrible. Mm -hmm. um, and he's been able to distance himself from the, uh, from the, 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 uh, the clown car, so to speak. And, um, you know, it, it's not hard to do because um, the Republican Party, even though this was uh, obviously a disaster uh, in terms of backbiting, in terms of miscounts, in terms of delays, in terms of banning the media from the vote count, mm -hmm. uh, the Republican Party itself thinks it was spectacular, thinks it was a paragon of election integrity. Uh, and so, you know, Ron Kenny's just laughing all the way to the, the bank because, of course, he's he's raised, I think, over a million dollars and is uh, in a front runner. Um, and to me, this just like really clearly points out how antiquated these political conventions are. These pre-primary conventions, they are unnecessary mm -hmm. and they are just... Um, you know, a trap waiting to go wrong and bring down the party. But of course, the party wants to keep them because it in increases their influence and their uh, and their power. But you know, we did away with with these smoke filled rooms uh, at the beginning of the century uh, nationally, and uh, now suddenly they're back without the smoke, uh, but uh, with a lot of with a lot of uh, boondoggles. That's right, that's right. Merritt, I, I gotta know, you were there, you were an eyewitness. What went wrong here? What, what, what was the no, I, I was not at the uh, state convention. I was at the Bernalillo County Convention. My I was not, mm -hmm. um, uh, I was not able to be at a state convention as I was not selected to be a delegate by uh, Bernalillo County. Ah. Um, um, I did have, uh, uh, I did get some eyewitness uh, accounts and of course, I followed uh, the media who were uh, covering it, covering what they could, because mm -hmm. it was not an entirely open process to the media, uh, w which was a mistake. Yep. What marked both conventions, both in the largest county in the state and the state convention, was ineptness. And that's uh, that's a real concern for me, um, both with just letting participants know what time to be there. Um, that was difficult to find out at the county level. Um, that was a problem at the state convention. Um, delegates were turned away after being told in their registration information uh, by email that registration would take place between 9 and 9.30 on Saturday morning. Some delegates who arrived at 8.58 were told it was already closed and they could not be in their, uh, could, get, could not get their credentials, would not be able to vote. Wow. Um, is that inept? Is that uh, deliberate? It's hard to know. Similar issues at the Bernalillo County Convention. Bernalillo County Convention, uh, a rule change was announced that um, was apparently not voted on by the state's, uh, by the part by the uh, county central committee. It was just simply announced by some people mm -hmm. um, that only central committee members would be voting on delegates. As what, opposed what to would be the, what would be the point of that? that that's kind of confusing. I mean, isn't the point uh, to have everybody vote at a, at a convention? Um, well, not at not in Bernalillo County. Wow. So um, uh, that happened. Mm -hmm. Then at Bernalillo County, also like uh, at the state convention, there is difficulty in voting. So voting couldn't happen right away. So what, what, ha what happened there? What, what's your inside information of why the delay on the vote count? What happened there? Uh, at state or county? State, my fault. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, state, uh, the email, it was supposed to be by uh, email and the email system did not work. So they had to print ballots. Then the ballots, uh, you went and voted by your congressional district. Well, there were nearly 800 people there. So you had to go stand in line of more than a, a line with more than 100 people in it. And then you and then there were proxies. So you stood at the line for your proxy. Then you had to go to the back of the line and vote for yourself. And then, of course, the media were all kept in a separate room and could not be witness to that, which made no there was no reason for that. There were no secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, there were only there, there were no writing candidates. There was nothing there was there was nothing that should not have been completely transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, Bernalillo County, um, it was the opposite. It was supposed to be for at large delegates were not selected by their wards. It was supposed to be a paper ballot. They found there was no way to print ballots at their convention site. And so that was email done later. Um, it was voting irregularity that I felt should have been contingencies that were planned for in both locations. And so again, whether this was just extreme ineptness or something deliberate, right. I don't know. And so I feel among the candidates, mm-hmm. um, I don't feel like there are any losers, but the Republican Party lost. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to those candidates. Uh, excellent uh, uh, description there. I appreciate you taking the time on that, Merrick. Thank you very much. Uh, Senator Feldman, were you surprised at all that C.J. Block finished higher? Then Rebecca Dow and Greg Zanetti, I, I, maybe I'd I was surprised. I was very surprised. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was very surprised. And I think, uh, I think these party conventions show the power of the insiders. You know, you, uh, the candidates campaign to the delegates, mm-hmm. not to the general public, or not even to the, um, the, the uh, mass of Republican voters uh, statewide. Uh, they're, they're, theirs is a very small targeted audience. And, you know, it's dangerous uh, because many times uh, the nominee of a state party at their convention loses mm-hmm. uh, because they uh, because they're not uh, they're not really the choice of the uh, the people. Gary King, for example, uh, at the Democratic convention, um, I don't know, uh, the same year that Su- uh, Susana Martinez ran. That's right. Uh, he won in the uh, Democratic Convention, uh, but lost mightily uh, uh, in the general election. So once again, I think we need to reevaluate how, uh, how, whether it's, it's not destructive to the party uh, to, to hold these pre-primary conventions uh, every other year, spend a lot of money on it, spend a lot of time on it, uh, rather than organizing the grassroots of their of their party, mm-hmm. uh, which which I think um, many feel should have their voice heard, yep. as well as those who can afford to travel to a state convention um, and endure the <laughs> the kind of things that Merritt was talking about <laughs> uh, like in order to just cast their little vote. <laughs> just like Jessica, yeah. okay, swing just here before we get out of this one. Um, I'm I'm curious, Jessica. It, Rebecca Dow seemed to be the favorite for the establishment, quote unquote, going in. What, what happened there? I, I, my guess at a, uh, a convention would have been her all the way, but it didn't happen that way. I think we're just going to have to go back to uh, what Dee Dee said, which is these are these are processes that you think you know what's going to happen going in, but there is a lot of insider parlay happening. Um, now, I saw Rebecca Dow yesterday, and she was all smiles and handshakes, um, engaging with people at a luncheon here in Carlsbad. Mm-hmm. She didn't seem disappointed overall by the out by being second, um, a second runner up in, in uh, the pre-primary convention. But I do think that she would say she was surprised that um, Block came out ahead of her, uh, and you know she's she's popular. She's got some some name weight behind her. Um, I wouldn't count her out overall just because he managed to walk away with twenty five percent or twenty seven percent, excuse me, of the um, delegate votes. Mm-hmm. And I think if I could just Please. weigh in, absolutely, um, there are a lot of delegates who didn't vote um, because I, it switched because people believed they could vote by email remotely. They left. Mm-hmm. And then it became paper ballots and they had no way to vote. Mm. So there are a lot of lost votes there. There are the people who weren't able to come in and um, uh, were not present uh, because they were turned away in the morning. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, 
Dow only lost by seven votes. I'm, I'm glad you got that in because it seems to me, Merritt, what you're saying is, I mean, is this discredited now because of that? I mean, should we just all by Monday morning not even take what happened at the convention with I any? I think it's irrelevant. Right. It's yeah. irrelevant except for the, and really the only thing that the convention decides is the, the order of candidates as they will appear on the ballot. And um, uh, I think right. even the most generous of commentators say that that maybe maybe at most accounts for two percent. Okay. Uh, if you're first on the ballot as opposed to second on the ballot. Right. Interesting. So that's but in a that's close race, two percent. Only, I mean, only outcome. Right. Exactly. Right. Interesting. Thank you all for your thoughts on that. We'll be watching. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Merritt. I really unfair to the delegates who traveled to Ruidoso and um, uh, made an effort, spent the day because Ruidoso is not close to a lot of things. So just about everyone traveled, yep. um, made an effort uh, to do what, uh, because they were invested in the process, nearly 800 delegates, not all of them got to vote. And uh, I think it's a real disservice to them. That's a, that's a shame. Again, thank you for the thoughts on that. We'll be watching this primary campaign season closely in the coming weeks and months. Okay, we talked about it earlier, but let's uh, head back over to the national, international story of the week, and that is the situation in Ukraine. Of course, Russian troops continue their uh, military operations in Ukraine, their invasion. We had scary moments on Thursday night where Russian soldiers appeared to be shooting into a nuclear facility and causing a fire. Uh, things are definitely getting even more and more scary and hairy there. We heard from President Biden this week in his State of the Union about his approach to trying to get uh, President Putin and Russia to change course here. Uh, these are all developments that people with ties to Ukraine here in New Mexico are following very closely. Our uh, producer, Lou Divizio, spent a lot of time over the course of the last week reaching out to the Ukrainian Americans of New Mexico. That's a group here in Albuquerque. They have been holding rallies and demonstrations for over a month now as they saw where this was headed. They've got a lot of thoughts about what the international community is doing, what more they could be doing. Um, and we are going to bring you that interview. But first, in the course of that, almost organically, as we were talking to folks with the Ukrainian Americans of New Mexico, uh, they uh, brought up the possibility that we could talk to a philosophy professor who is near the capital, Kiev, uh, and is determined to stay and to bunker down and to hopefully wait this thing out. And uh, so we pulled in a translator and were able to spend a few minutes with this professor. We are keeping his identity anonymous for obvious reasons for his safety, but uh, this was during a Facebook Live we did. Um, and this conversation happened right after that. We want to bring that to you now. And here is host Gene Grant. Where is our, our guest? Is he safe? And what's the situation for him currently? Pane Romane, czy wy je bezpieczni? I jaka sytuacja koło was teper? Gdzie wy zdechodzicie się? Jak to wyglądaj? Ситуація тяжка, тому що навколо йдуть бої, і та якраз Буча знаходиться в місті, в такому місці, де воно переходить то в одні руки, то в інші. Constant, uh, in, uh, but fighting all around, intense fighting. Gotcha. My next question is, what is the communication for him at this point? Is he able to communicate with friends? Does he have uh, friends and family? Is there internet? What's what's the communication situation? Pane Romane, jak vy možete hovoriti s vojimi tovarišami, či šo, je telefony, je internet, jak vy hovoriti v den zrovni? Zaraz zi zvezkom stalo kraše, nalagodili robotu mobilni operatori. I s bagatma ja možu razmovljati, 
але є місця, в яких зараз знаходяться російські окупанти, там, де теж перебувають мої друзі, знайомі, з ними зв'язок дуже поганий, але смс інколи доходять. You know, because they go back and forth anyway. And then we've got, uh, but in the areas that are uh, occupied by the Russian troops, uh, uh, that's bad. Uh, but they still can get some uh, text messages across. Um, not great, but they can do it. Right. Is our guest looking to get out of the country with his family, I'm wondering, or is he going to stay and try and see this thing through? Pane Romane, zališajtesi, če hočete zabratiši zvite? Ні, я особисто хотів би жити в Україні, в вільній Україні, інтегрованій у західну спільноту. А тепер якраз в тім моменті ви лишаєтесь? В цей момент лишаюся, тому що зі мною живе моя мама, який 80 років, який треба догляд, дружина, сусіди з маленькими дітьми. Right. So he wants to stay, he wants his, the goal is to stay in a free European connected Ukraine. He's not going anywhere right now. He's got an 80 year old mother. He's got his wife. He's got the neighbors and their kids. Uh, they're all working together. They're helping each other. They're watching each other. Uh, nobody's going anyplace. Mm-hmm. How, just a couple more questions here. How, I'm, 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 in my mind's eye, I can't quite picture where the Russian push is northwest of Kiev. I'm, I'm working on a, probably a, a week long, week old map here. Right. But is this going to get worse in this area here soon? It, is, is the, what's the prediction for this part of, of the country? Um, <laughs> I've heard a lot of stories out of Bucha myself, but let, let's yeah. go on. Північний захід від Києва, так? Так. Так? Так, так. Як виглядає? Він пробує зрозуміти, зорієнтуватися, що там, як то виглядає тепер, що там буде, що ви можете сподіватися, чи воно буде далі, далі буде так, як тепер, чи що ви маєте на вашу думку? Там, де ви є якраз. На мою думку, я думаю так, що чим більше у нас буде зброї високотехнологічної, нової, чим більше буде допомоги, тим швидше це все закінчиться. Ми, не, наш народ, наскільки ви бачите, не хоче повертатися в минуле. Right. Ми хочемо майбутнього, світлого майбутнього. І right. тому, чим більше ця допомога, тим більше українців лишаться живими, як військових, так і цивільних. Окей. Вони шукають майбутнє. І найбільший спосіб зробити це – це амуніція. They all have just, they're just resolute. There's no, there's no discussion. There's no argument. There's no, there's no nothing. They're staying there. They just need the, they just need the, uh, the ability to uh, fend off the attackers. Mm-hmm. Well, last question for our guest and, and George, we, we can't thank you enough for doing this. What, from, from your, from our guest's point of view, what does, what does, what would he like Americans to know about what's happening in Ukraine right now? And what's the best way Americans could help at this point? Пане Романе, наш гість хоче знати, чим американці можуть допомогти, що ви найбільше вимагаєте, що вам потрібно тепер? На цей момент дуже актуальне питання із боротьбою з російською авіацією і ракетами дальної дії. Вони носять велику шкоду нашим великим містам і за них гинуть мирні люди в Харкові, в Києві, в Ірпені, Бородянці і багатьох інших містах. 
Ворог зрозумів, що швидко нас не здолати, і він намагається сіяти паніку таким чином. Чим швидше буде закрите небо, тим легше нам буде це подолати. Ну і, звичайно, навіть така велика країна, як Радянський Союз, не змогла справитися без допомоги економічної. Якби не західна економічна допомога, Союз би, він, мабуть, би не здолав би фашистську Німеччину. Okay. Uh, he, uh, back at the end to uh, how the West uh, helped uh, the Red Army in World War II. Uh, defeat uh, Nazi Germany through our, you know, weapons and tanks and all the stuff that uh, we gave them. So what he wants now, and he feels that all the Ukrainians want it, is we need to close the skies. So uh, they, the Russians have realized that they're not going to win militarily. Right. So what they're doing is they're sowing panic and confusion by indiscriminate bombing of civilian targets in all of the major cities. So they're taking out anything that's gonna disorient, uh, create doubt amongst the civilians. Uh, so they're mostly worried about aviation, uh, you know, fighter jet strikes and rocket strikes. That's what's given the most trouble. Uh, the other thing, a lot of people, the kids, women and all that, the, the civilians are bleeding out from the shrapnel. So they really needed the tourniquets and those kinds of things uh, to get them through the night. Uh, but they're just doing, he said, they're, they're, so what we need to do is, uh, is just help Ukraine economically, but close the skies to uh, bombardment, whether it's missile or aviation. That makes sense. That's, that's all they want right now. And then they'll take care of the ground fight. Yeah. The, the uh, no-fly zone, exactly right. And uh, exactly, they need they need protection from above. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, everything would change at that point. George, you could be so kind to please thank our guest uh, from all of us here at New Mexico PBS and as American citizens that let him know he's not alone here. There are many, many Americans that are, I hate to be insulting, not saying pulling for Ukraine, but we need to do something actively here beyond just wishing and hoping And hopefully it'll happen in the, in the next little bit of time that we can help out the country. It's important. Uh, if Ukraine goes, Europe, I mean, the whole thing. I, I, I don't, you don't need to tell him all of this, of course. But <laughs> if, you, if you just tell him we said thank you. We wish him good luck and good prayer and Godspeed. And if there's anything we can help with in the States here, please let us know since we have his contact. Okay, so now let's uh, continue that conversation on Ukraine now that you understand a little bit more about what the situation is like there on the ground in Ukraine. Again, that conversation with that anonymous professor, we did that on Wednesday, and we know things have only gotten worse since then. Uh, but we also had the chance to talk to the Ukrainian-Americans of New Mexico. All of the folks that you're going to hear from have family still in Ukraine You're going to hear about the, the hardships in terms of trying to keep communication open, find out how they're doing, folks going silent for days on end where they can't get word. Luckily, uh, so far, the outcome for these loved ones is, is good, but we know that can change in a heartbeat. We also know that there's a possibility New Mexico may house refugees if that becomes a situation from Ukraine, much as we did recently with Afghanistan. And so, again, uh, thanks to producer Lou DiVizio for making contact with the Ukrainian-Americans of New Mexico. Thank you to them for their time, taking time out to talk to us when they've got a lot on their plates. We only had time for a portion of this interview on our show on New Mexico PBS this week, but the beauty of the podcast, we can bring it to you all here and would love to get your thoughts and reaction to it as well. You can drop us a line here on the podcast or... Reach out on any of our social media channels, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Search for NM in Focus or New Mexico in Focus. You'll find us there. But here now, once again, host Gene Grant and the Ukrainian-Americans of New Mexico. Larissa, you've also heard, uh, trying to hear from friends and folks you know in Ukraine. How's it going for you to be in communication with folks? Let's, let's start there. 
the communication is pretty well at this time. There is some, yeah, some technical problems, um, but communication is well. Um, I talked to my mom. She said they lost uh, uh, television over there because the bomb hit the TV station with all the antennas and they cannot see any news, but they can get on on radio right now. Um, but um, we communicate through Viber. So it's using <clears throat> internet data. So that works. Wow. So that works. And that's really helping. My mom uh, just near Kiev. She's in Boyerka, which um, maybe like 20 miles away from Kiev. And the bombing and she she hears everything. It uh, goes here and there. It's very loud. When I talk to her, I see her going down, trying to, <laughs> you know, that reflex humans have when you hear bombs hitting the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I was able to <clears throat> reach uh, actually yesterday to my cousin who's in Berdyansk by Militopol, where is the big fight is going on also. Yes, and that was so, re so relieving. So I knew that they okay at this time but they're ready to step in and fight. They're ready to do civilian defense. They, they already, they, they just can't believe that all this happening, that insane situation is going on and, that, and there is not much help around. Right, exactly. Um, over there. Uh, Natalia, um, you're also a filmmaker, I should uh, mention, as well as the president of Ukrainian-Americans Ukrainian of New Mexico, the group that uh, uh, is here, of course. You're all members, I, sh I should point out. Um, yeah. tell, us, tell us about your family situation and how you're able to contact folks in Ukraine. Has it been difficult? Are you hearing from the people you want to hear from at this point? Yeah, uh, we have actually really difficult situation. Um, my relatives and friends right now in, uh, in, in Kiev and Chernigov region. Mm -hmm. And in Kiev, uh, uh, we have a like, little town, beautiful little town 10 miles from uh, Kiev. And Russian troops, uh, the last two nights, they bombed them for eight hours. I lost connection. And we, of course, uh, have a communicate with them on Viber. It's only thing, but I lost, uh, I lost communication with them for, uh, for a day. And I didn't know what happened to them. And my friends sent me uh, pictures. They actually, uh, like, a tape, uh, like a sent me messages uh, on Viber. Uh, because we are in a group in our building apartment, uh, mm -hmm. and they like, I see what they type in. They say, "Why? What, what we have to run? What we should to do? There is a bumping," and other people say, "No, you have to stay, stay to home because we couldn't go out." And people completely like, some say, some say, "My kid is crying. I don't know where I should hide them." You know, it's all really, 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 really sad and difficult because of Bucha. It was really beautiful city, beautiful city. And they destroyed, they destroyed city completely. It's, it's very, very sad to see those pictures. Mm -hmm. Are there, guys, I'll ask everybody, but I'll start with uh, Natalia on this. Is the, I know the TV station, that one TV station tower is down. Did that hold all the TV stations in Ukraine? Is there another way to get up, up, up in, your, in, in your native language? You can hear some news. Is there a way to get that done now? It's just only one, you know, but we have actually in Bucha, we have a small station, you know, okay. it helps to spread the information, you know, just in the local. Mm -hmm. But the main TV station, it's freaking, it's yeah. And I don't know, actually, do they have any news right now on TV, in Kiev especially? Right. I don't know, because I couldn't get connections with all my uh, relatives for now. My last connection with them. Gotcha. They you know, bumped me terribly. Mm -hmm. You know, George, I was watching uh, to get ready for the, well, I watch it all the time, Al Jazeera and France 24, their coverage is, is very much on the ground. It, for, for folks in the States who have been watching this, you know, we're talking about the human side of this, of course. Was this a, a, a huge surprise the way Mr. Putin went about this or, or, 
you know, as far as we knew in the States, it was just those two regions that were in dispute. And now suddenly the whole darn country is under attack. Was this a surprise for Ukrainians that he tried to go for a whole bite here? Before I go into that, I just want to comment a little bit about the news and how people can uh, see what's going on who are in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a right, right now, um, like all the big media companies in Ukraine are banded together and then doing a 24 hour marathon broadcast with the two hour shifts from different stations changing. And it's uh, it's being live on YouTube on several channels. And uh, most of Ukrainians who has Internet access uh, can can see that uh, live TV feed all the time. Okay. Uh, but uh, in places which are close to the uh, actual heavy fighting, the signal and the internet, uh, mobile internet, is not available. So that's that's the thing. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, so, so I mean, yeah, it's, it's like a like a big thing to unpack. It's more like a uh, geopolitical expert kind of question. But uh, the way we see it, this was always uh, where it was headed. Uh, like at least some of the uh, Ukrainians who are or people who are analyzing the situation. The story from 2007, from Putin's uh, original Munich speech, uh, uh, that was declared uh, out loud for the first time, uh, the intent, and uh, um, and I, I think like some of the West still like misunderstands that this is not uh, just about Ukraine. Of course, Ukraine is an important uh, part of identity of Russian Empire to be. So this is the part of Russian Empire, but. Um, uh, the understanding I wanted to bring up and uh, like people to be more aware of, there is an ideology behind this. Mm -hmm. And there is a figure uh, whose name is Dmitry Dugin. He is an ideologist of a very uh, far right, uh, like almost fascist like uh, uh, ideology. And a lot of uh, Hazid ideology has a big uh, sway into, uh, you can say him, he's a Steve Bannon of the ultra right uh, of the. Um, um, Kremlin regime currently. I see. And we're there that the philosophy is not about just Ukraine, it's about destroying the liberal democracy. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a crusade. Mm -hmm. I have a question, another poli-sci sort of question. We just got to get through some of these, unfortunately, because it's kind of the way these things go. Larissa, uh, what do you make of Belarus getting involved here? I, I that To me, that was like just like out of the blue. How does this complicate the situation for folks living in Ukraine to have Belarus coming over the border like this? It complicates the situation big time because it's a spread of their attacks because they're attacking from three sides. Now it's gonna be even stronger attacks hitting north of Ukraine. And that's of course not fair because Belarusian people, they don't want the war. We had a protest meeting yesterday by government building in Santa Fe. We had Belarusian people. We had people from Lithuania coming to support us. We know Belarusians don't want it. They've been pushed by their government by Lukashenko. And Lukashenko is Putin's puppet. That's how Putin wants. He wants to have puppets all over, all over Soviet Union, former Soviet Union. He wants all it back. And that's what he creates. He lost Yanukovych, who was his puppet on Ukrainian territory, and that's why he got mad. And that's what created the situation. And he was developing it until now, until he found that he's ready to strike and he did it. Mm -hmm. And we all scared and we pray to God. We asking for government help here in America, everywhere to stop that because he's not gonna stop. He's gonna go for the world. Yep. It's not over, we're all in danger. Natalia, could you pick up on that same situation? I mean, Belarus coming over the border complicates everything. NATO is now, you know, staged. American troops are going over, not to fight, but to help in other ways, too. Your sense of what, what's happened now that Belarus has crossed and, and the things have escalated uh, to a all new level here. The Lukashenko, Lukashenko, like Laura told before, he will stay with Putin because he does, don't have a choice because he know what happened, you know, after he leave the Putin, because uh, Belarus people, Larissa called Be Be Belarusian, mm -hmm. uh, they, uh, they will have a revolution. They definitely, because nobody wanna the, have a president for 20, 20 years, like a Putin, mm -hmm. you know, to be president, it's uh, for 20 years, it's a not, uh, it's a not democratic country at all. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you really, what really we need from government, so we, uh, United States government, it's net, NATO can help establish a no-fly zone over Ukraine, prevents Moscow from the uh, from uh, shelling civilian and military objects in Ukraine with guided missiles, warplanes, helicopters, drones. It's really important. It's the first what we need to stay to ask government, please help establish no-fly zone. Mm-hmm. It's the most important for now. Mm-hmm. George, I'm curious. Um, I want to pick up on what uh, Natalie was just saying. Natalia was just saying, but the the idea, I'm, I'm thinking about the State of the Union speech last night from President Biden. And just a real simple question to start that this off. Were you satisfied with the president's response during the State of the Union speech last night? Uh, um, you know, I'm embarrassed to say that uh, this is the things I always follow, but not at this moment, but because okay. of my capacity to. So if you can uh, just point out what were the most important things, I'll, I'll be able to respond. Not a problem at all. Let me actually kick that to Larissa, and, and you can listen in and, and, and kind of come back. You know, Larissa, he did talk about, obviously, talk about Ukraine, and very tough on Putin, but talked a lot about just about sanctions, and that was about it. Uh, were, yeah. were you satisfied? Yeah, I know that um, most of the world, uh, Europe and Biden, they all are trying to isolate Putin financially, mm-hmm. and that means a lot, but it's not enough. It's yeah. not enough. We need more. We need physical help, not the fighting, but at least bring bring in equipment, the tanks, whatever, airplanes in faster because it's way too slow. They, they don't get enough. They don't get enough. And they need bulletproof vests. They need protection so they can fight, not die over there. That's right. That's right. And as George, you might recall last week, the president of Ukraine said, I don't need a lift. I need arms. You know, (laughs) I don't need a ride out of here. I'm staying. Uh, And so, again, it it just I guess we're leading up to an obvious question here Uh, for the allies of Ukraine, allies of NATO, NATO members, whatever the case may be. Is there a step you personally would like to see all these entities take in this situation here soon? It's uh, it's it's a tough one because we absolutely uh, Ukraine suffers from these bombardments and a lot of civilian population. Mm-hmm. Uh, like on the ground, our forces are really holding back this huge army, and they're doing a great job of it. But the protection from the sky is what hurts the civilians and hurts the uh, the, the army morally. I mean, yeah, it's 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 horrendous. It's actual it's actual war crimes. So what what we've seen. So. Of course, we want to have a no-fly zone, but we also understand that that means direct military uh, confrontation with Russia, which is everybody's trying to avoid. So it's it's a tough one. I don't know. Like, yeah, we would like to have it. I don't know if it's possible. It is a tough one, isn't it? It is a tough one because the second something starts, it is World War Three, and that, and that's a difficulty. I, I hear you. Oh. What it is, may I say, just one quick thing. What is possible is to establish uh, a humanitarian freedom what we call a freedom bridge basically we need to have a very direct uh fast delivery to Lviv, let's say uh, of of aid and uh, equipment and medical supplies so we need that can be uh provided because this is not a military uh, operation right that's a good point that's a distinction i'm glad you made that distinction that's that's a good point uh natalia let's talk about the organization um there were uh, some uh Larissa mentioned earlier at Santa Fe, uh, there were some protests. Tell us of what happened over this, these past few days and if there are other protests planned for the New Mexico area that we should be aware of. Okay, <clears throat> we already start uh, have demonstrations one month ago mm-hmm. because I knew Putin will invite Ukraine. And I called my friends, please have a food be, to, to be prepared, you know, but they, they they didn't believe it. They say, no, no, it couldn't happen. No, 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 no. I say, please do something now. And we already had like four uh, demonstrations. Uh, the first one, it was on January 30, I think, yes. And when after you- the war started, we, ha- we, uh, we had three more demonstrations. Mm-hmm. 
as for now, we try to, uh, uh, we already send the letters to um, Congress, congressmen uh, to, um, to, you know, to have like, to get some information because we wanna um, get a, got a connection with uh, uh, Red Cross. Mm -hmm. And we uh, wanna be ready uh, when the um, uh, refugees, refugees will uh, come to New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And we just try to organize the, you know, everything, got the connections, uh, rent the um, storages, uh, looking, you know, talking with the churches who can help us and what kind of churches, because, you know, actually the Russian church, large Orthodox church in Santa Fe, they say, we will help you, you know, and mm -hmm. it's like, very like, wow. I guess I never thought about that. You're right. <laughs> the church in Santa Fe. That's interesting. Yeah, but some of you know, we was yeah. uh, with uh, we were with uh, a Russian uh, Russian Orthodox and the Ukrainian. You know, you know, they have some you know problems, mm -hmm. serious problems. Yeah, but it's so like wow when the uh, the father uh, Father David from Santa Fe Church he called called me and said, Natalia, we can do it. I was so thankful for him. Yeah. Are there, are there are there refugees planning? Well, it's hard to tell these things, of course, because the information is sketchy. But do you anticipate a wave of refugees coming at some point here to New Mexico as well? If everything would be like what we, you know, no, they probably would be here. Some of them would be here tomorrow, or oh, not tomorrow, next week. Right. <clears throat> yeah, some. I don't know how many yet, but I know they will. Welcome here to New Mexico. I, I think some, uh, maybe many, I don't know the how, how many for now, but I think some Ukrainians will come and you don't, don't have to worry about Ukrainians because it's a intelligent, uh, uh, smart people, hard workers. It's what I, what I tell you, there is a no, 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 no crimes, you know. Yeah. New Mexico is supposed to be like, be safe with Ukrainians. You know, it's interesting you say that I'm smiling because, as you three probably well know, there's a theater company here in Albuquerque, Trick Lock, that has done work with Ukrainians artists for a lot of years now, bringing over Ukrainians here. And I've had the good pleasure to interview and meet and have a lot of fun with some of the artists that have come. I couldn't agree with you more, Nat Natalia. It just it, it would suit me fine if a whole bunch of Ukrainian folk came here. I, I'd be okay with that. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> You know, any last thoughts? I, I don't want to get you guys out and, and, and get back to what you're doing. What, George, let me start with you. What do Americans need to know, or Albuquerqueans or New Mexicans, what do we need to know about Ukraine at this point? Is there something missing that bothers you about the understanding of your country that you want folks to know? Yeah, thank you. It's a, well, it's a, it's again a, a big one to unpack, but like something, something to be aware is, uh, for example, that uh, you know this this war is also information war, and there is still quite a bit of uh, misinformation uh, floating around in the West, and even in the um, uh, you know big media reporting, sometimes the picture is a little distorted. Uh, you know, we have a lot of these doomsday kind of scenarios that everything's going to fall. They were telling the key was going to fall in two days, and. Uh, um, what I want to say is just uh, is that it's good to be aware that there is a, a, a complicated situation to get their your own sense out of it, and if possible, find their uh, Ukrainian sources who are on the ground who are doing very robust fact checking. Find the Ukrainians who report in English, and you can get a better picture of uh, of uh, of a sense of what is going on. Mm -hmm. um, the, the other things is uh, of course put pressure on your local representatives and. Uh, compel them to do the things that we talked about, uh, what, what Ukraine's desire for protection and to improve humanitarian, humanitarian situation. Uh, also, I'm pretty sure, you know, we can leave some sources for donations for all kinds and for support the organizations and uh, uh, and what kind of NGOs, because NGOs right now is on the forefront of that. Uh, I witnessed what's happening in uh, Poland and Ukraine through communication for volunteers when trying to accommodate my family. It's very amazing what they're doing. They just need all the help because they know what they're doing. Wow, that's that. Oof, that warms my heart. I'm glad. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> Actually, made me feel good there in the, in the middle of all this. Uh, Larissa, you have a unique position. You were there, of course, in the medical field, and you're in the medical field here as a nurse. 
I'm interested in your perspective. What don't we know here in the States about Ukraine that we need to know about? What, what's missing? About Ukraine? We're missing a lot because it's complicated history where Ukraine were under Russian jurisdiction for the long time. And actually in 19th century, Ukrainian people were physically slaves of Russian nobles. And um, the dream of Ukrainian people was always to be free. And when Soviet Union broke off and that unique chance became our opportunity, we grabbed on it. And we were free for 30 years and now we got taste of it and no one can take it away from us. That's why our people fighting to the last breath, to the last drop of their blood. And they're going to stand for their country because they know they want their freedom. They don't want to be puppet of Russia. They don't want to be colonial. They don't want to be, yeah, they don't want to be, I mean, world didn't stop. It moves on. Mm -hmm. We've been free. You can't just come and tell us, hey, remember that time? I want you back. No, it's impossible. That's history drawn by people who's living in their country. History written by these Ukrainian people. They love their country. They don't want to give it up. Putin can do whatever crimes he's able. I know he's sending vacuum bombs. He dropping uh, those, um, what you call them, cluster bombs. Mm -hmm. Just cluster bombs. They directed for their civilians. They sending them around the hospitals, around the kindergartens. A lot of kids that killed because of the cluster bombs. Because when they explode, it shoots small bombs everywhere. That's what he does. He has to be hold, held accountable for his crimes. That those weapons is prohibited. It's banned in the entire world. And he's doing it. Something has to be done. And he's not going to turn the history back. History moving forward. And we are free and we want to be free. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I appreciate those words so much. Natalia, how can we help as New Mexicans? Is there a place, a website, or Facebook page? What's the best place we could uh, uh, give our hearts to the situation? Yeah. Yeah, we have a Facebook page, uh, we have Instagram, we have a website. You can go and actually you can see what we've done before. I can't thank you enough for your time. I know this is a very difficult situation. George Deniloff, Larissa Castillo, and Natalia Pavlenko Edelman. She is the president of the Ukrainian Americans of New Mexico and all the you two are members as well. We will definitely keep in touch with the Ukrainian-Americans of New Mexico in the coming weeks and days. Our best goes out to all of them. We thank them again for their time. And if you uh, look in the description for this episode, you'll see a whole list of ways you can help out if you are so inclined. Uh, and we um, encourage you to do that and to follow us on social media so you can be aware whenever we're doing those Facebook Live interviews, you can watch when they happen. Something else that happened this week sort of behind the curtains here on the show was a conversation between correspondent Antonia Gonzalez and Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez. We wanted to catch up with him because, as you well know, New Mexico has dropped the mask mandate, indoor mask mandate around COVID-19 and the public health order. That's been in place a couple of weeks now. But the Navajo Nation is standing firm on their mask mandate. Uh, of course, the Navajo Nation reaches into four different states. We know New Mexico, Arizona definitely have both dropped their mask mandates. We wanted to find out if the tribe was consulted at all when those states made their decisions. We also wanted to know about the strategy going forward. And we even got a chance to get uh, President Nez's reaction to President Biden's State of the Union address this week. And so I want to bring that to you here on the podcast. And uh, again, 
Antonia Gonzalez, the correspondent for this, and we appreciate President Nez taking some time out of his busy schedule. President Jonathan Nez, welcome to New Mexico in Focus. Hello, Antonia. Thank you for having us on the show. And uh, President Nez, we know COVID-19 has hit the Navajo Nation hard. There are states across the country loosening up their restrictions, including New Mexico, ending its indoor mask mandate. What's the tribe's response? Well, it's unfortunate that, um, you know, this country is uh, starting to remove some of their COVID-19 restrictions. Uh, we're not out of the pandemic yet, as you know, Antonio. Uh, I hear other variants are popping up on the other side of the world, and we just want to stay cautious. You know, for the Navajo Nation, we've never taken our mask mandate away. We've had it in place since the onset, uh, April of 2020. And even though we've heard uh, jurisdictions around us and, um, you know, even the CDC saying you don't have to wear a mask. And then later on, they say, well, put the mask back on. On the Navajo Nation, we never wavered. We continue to uh, uh, keep our mask mandate in place. Uh, we want to, you know, keep our citizens um, uh, safe throughout this pandemic. And, uh, you know, we've gotten some positive comments uh, because keeping our uh, mask mandate in place from our Navajo citizens. You know, it, it's about uh, protecting our families, our protecting our community, and protecting our uh, Navajo Nation. You know, it's not about uh, you know restricting anybody's freedom by forcing people to wear a mask. I mean, we we just uh, went through a tough surge uh, last year, and many surges uh, since then. And we feel like these protocols have kept us safe. And this last surge that started a month ago, uh, this should be a testament to what the Navajo people have done is to get 75% of their people fully vaccinated and keeping some of these protocols have helped uh, keep uh, COVID-19 from hurting our people. You know, with this last surge, yes, there were some breakthrough cases but because of a high uh, vaccinated population, uh, we didn't see many people uh, in the hospitals. We did see unvaccinated people ending up in the emergency rooms compared to off the Navajo Nation where we saw uh, a skyrocketing numbers of people ending up in the emergency rooms and ending up being admitted in the hospital. So I hope people see that, you know, if these protocols are taken seriously, just imagine how better off we would be throughout the uh, United States if we were just to have done this uh, during the, the first uh, year, year and a half of this pandemic. And speaking about off-reservation, the tribe's message, your message to reservation residents when they're traveling, um, what is your message to the public to continue to wear masks in public? And yourself as a tribal leader, when you're out there doing your official tribal business, um, what kind of example are you setting? Well, I was just mentioning earlier that the Arizona State basketball tournaments were happening here in Arizona. You know, large gatherings, uh, there's no restrictions uh, off the Navajo Nation, but we went there and it was encouraging, really inspiring to see our Navajo citizens wearing their masks, watching the games. And what was even more inspiring was to see the student athletes. You know, they didn't have to wear masks on the court, but they chose to wear a mask and they were a role model uh, to the rest of the state of Arizona that they are serious about pushing back on COVID-19. And with the uh, mask mandate in place here on Navajo, we tell our visitors, you gotta wear a mask. We're a sovereign nation. We have the ability to govern ourselves and. This is our decision. Please, uh, you know, honor that. And if not, then, uh, uh, you know, what can we say? You know, maybe come back later on. But right now, uh, a mask mandate is in place, and we just ask for uh, our visitors to respect that. 
And speaking of tribal sovereignty as a tribal government making your own rules and regulations, has there been any, any consultation about uh, loosening restrictions from whether it's the state of New Mexico, Arizona, or Utah? Has the governor's offices of any of the states or any cities um, consulted with the Navajo Nation? Not one. <clears throat> They're making their own decisions. As uh, you stated, New Mexico took their mask mandate away. Um, I did speak to uh, a city councilor out of Flagstaff, Arizona. He's wanting to encourage his city council to keep the mask mandate on. Uh, it wasn't a tribal consultation. It was a, actually a quick visit at the basketball game. But I think people see the uh, great job the Navajo people have done, you know. And again, Dr. Fauci has said, you know, it, Navajo Nation is a case study, uh, a model. Uh, if we are to follow these protocols, you know, we could really get back to some normal. But uh, until then, uh, we'll see what happens. But the Navajo Nation continues to take the pandemic uh, seriously, especially our elders, right? Our elders, a uh, large percentage, over uh, 80%. Uh, are fully vaccinated. That just tells you that our elderly's uh, population are taking this, uh, this COVID-19 uh, public health emergency seriously. And is there, I know there's no magic crystal ball to see the future, but are there some numbers or some, you know, some data or something that would make the Navajo Nation loosen restrictions, including a mask mandate? Well, of course, uh, every day I get updates from our public health professionals. I do have periodic meetings with our Navajo Nation COVID-19 um, team. Uh, that includes uh, some of the doctors, the healthcare professionals uh, that give us guidance. Um, and so when we see the numbers decrease uh, all around us and the high vaccination percentage all around us, and, uh, and I think uh, we will be lifting some of these uh, restrictions. But until then, we're doing it in incremental steps. I think the next, uh, the next move, if we see these uh, numbers very low, will be going from 50% to 75% and reopening our businesses. So that is something that is coming up. And then also opening possibly our, um, our gyms, uh, our wellness centers to the public. And um, we're gonna continue to uh, uh, look to our uh, doctors and public health professionals here on the Navajo Nation for guidance. And your Navajo Nation vaccination events, testing events have seemed to slow down a little bit. What's now the focus for the tribe and healthcare workers? Well, the, the continuation of getting people vaccinated, of course, we're almost in that time period of the six months. So every six months you get a, get a shot to fight COVID-19 or to protect yourself from COVID-19. The, the third shot, you know, I think we're almost at the six months. <clears throat> so there, there'll be uh, a fourth shot, I'm sure. And then we'll be out there uh, promoting that uh, right now, the Navajo people have received, um, much of them have received their boosters. Uh, the Navajo Nation employees, over 80% of our Navajo Nation employees are boosted. And uh, it is a mandate for Navajo Nation employees to get the third shot. I don't think any other uh, jurisdiction or any other government has done that, even the federal government, mandating that they get uh, their employees the, uh, the third shot. So that's something we're leading the way on here on the Navajo Nation. And we just want to keep our employees safe, but not to shut down government. We're going to continue to provide services to our Navajo people and, and keep everybody safe. And what's the top recovery right now at the moment for recovering from COVID-19? What's your focus right now? Well, right now we're looking at um, reopening uh, the hospitals for those non-COVID-19 procedures. Some of those were uh, put on hold because our focus and our attention were on COVID-19 
uh, related health issues. So there are some uh, of our Navajo people that are, uh, we're waiting on some operations or some procedures, non-COVID-19 related. So we're gonna be focusing on, on that with the hospitals. Uh, we're handing out masks. We got many uh, uh, masks, uh, the KN95 masks that we're handing out in public. You know what, it's a good timing too, you know, even at these basketball games. Here on the Navajo Nation, we're still uh, capped at these basketball events at 25%, but uh, people do come out. We're handing out masks there in, in large quantities so that they can stock up as well. And, and I think uh, we all know, I know that masks, utilizing, utilizing masks will uh, slow down the spread of COVID-19 and uh, we can continue to uh, provide hygiene kits, cleaning supplies as we transition to the spring because it'll get a little warmer. And uh, we're hoping that uh, we keep the, the other sur surges uh, from coming and hitting us hard once again here on the Navajo Nation. Well, I know you have a busy schedule ahead of you for today and the rest of the week, but real quick, um, if you have any thoughts on President Biden's State of the Union address last night, what are you looking for for the Navajo people? Well, he did mention Indian country uh, in his speech. That was encouraging. Uh, we, I thought he did an excellent job on the delivery of his uh, address. Uh, very inspiring towards the end there. I know the attention is on Ukraine, uh, what's happening there. Uh, Navajo Nation uh, is uh, standing with the citizens of Ukraine uh, as well. We, we took a position there to make sure that, um, you know, we pray for our brothers and sisters there in uh, Ukraine and, uh, you know, protecting uh, their sovereign ability to govern. and. You know, that's what we do as uh, tribal governments as well. And we're even looking into our investments. Are, are there any investments uh, uh, from the Russian government or anything Russian so that we can reevaluate some of our relations with, uh, uh, with Russia, the government and Putin? So I think uh, other tribes are going to be doing that. I know states are uh, not purchasing uh, Russian goods, uh, even boycotting some of those. Uh, I think we also need to look at uh, the bigger picture, uh, the investments, international investments, you know, reevaluating our portfolio. And right now I'm just uh, getting a rundown on anything associated with the Russian government and we got to cut our ties. And I think uh, we got to do that in Indian country as well. Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez, thank you for joining us on New Mexico PBS. Thank you for having us, Antonia. All righty, that'll do it for this episode of the podcast for New Mexico in Focus. I'm your host, Kevin McDonald, executive producer. Got a lot more in store for you on our next episode. More from our line opinion panel that you heard at the top of this show. They are talking about the announcement that New Mexico is joining into a collaborative agreement with other states on the hydrogen energy kick that we saw come up in the regular legislative session. So the governor is going to go about this in a different way. Also, we are going to be talking about uh, what the state's going to do about millions of dollars in overpayments for COVID unemployment benefits. Uh, that's a story that is cropping up. We've known about for a while, but is definitely top of mind and a um, lot to dig into there. So lots more coming up for you on our next episode. Until then, thank you so much as always for listening and tuning in and be sure to stay safe, stay healthy.